Hello, this is Dr. Mari Swingle, author of iMinds, How and Why Constant Connectivity is Changing Our Brains and What to Do About It. And you're listening to the NeuroNoodle Network Podcast. Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast featuring our neuropsychologists, Dr. Laura Jansen, Dr. Skip Wren, and neurofeedback legend Jay Gunkelman. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. This is an all-star cast that are more than happy to share their knowledge with you. My name is Pete, and today we have in the show Dr. Mari Swingle, author of iMinds. But before we get to Dr. Mari, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Outrageous Baking and Interested Brain Hacker. Hey, Outrageous Baking is a dedicated gluten-free bakery that has been around for 15 years. They specialize in delicious gluten and dairy-free sweetbreads everyone will love. Skip, they ship all across the country. So sign up for our newsletter and receive 15% off your first order. Skip, we're all about gut health, aren't we? You know it, Pete. And is that contiguous or continental U.S.? Because up in Alaska, it makes a difference. If you're in America, they're going to ship to you. (laughs) All right, that's all I need to know. We got a little taste that even I tried out, and it was pretty good. Maureen tried it, and she gave it the thumbs up. Cinnamon coffee cake, here we come. Outrageously delicious. See, So you vouch, that's good stuff. I said my wow. wife likes it. Wow, you wow, can... wow. We're going to keep going. This is good. Uh, she's she's ordering some. So I think I'm on the negative with the sponsor, guys. <laughs> Dr. Mari, thanks for coming on the show today. How do you and Jay know each other? Oh, gosh. Well, uh, of course, through uh, the, the neuro work. I don't know when we first met. Jay was always kind of around. But I do remember our, our first, I'd say, significant chat it was right after I had finished my um, my doctorate on internet addiction, and I, w- I was literally looking for signatures in the brain, so EEG signatures. And of course, being in the formal school system that didn't really know much about EEG, I, I went with the normative databases and did, did a pretty standard standard doctorate in, in, in the area. And then I had just tons and tons and tons and tons of, of other data. I also, uh, I think people are probably familiar uh, with my last name, so very heavily based in a, in a clinical database. And so there was all kinds of information there. And and also just some really weird stuff that I had no idea what I had in my hands um, and sparked a really interesting conversation with Jay about that. He approached me. That was my first uh, presentation. It was either Rome or Florence. I remember it was, um, or sorry, Venice. I remember it was Italy. Um, And we had a really good chat. And uh, Jay even intrigued me further to or encourage me further to, to look at that stuff I didn't understand. That's how uh, I really just only didn't do a dissertation in the effects of um, eye technology on the brain. It, it's kind mm-hmm. of like my, my whole side or central area of research. Uh, and it's about these really peculiar alpha patterns on the brain. Yeah. So that's a long winded way to know how I know Jay. Also compliments to Jay. I think he 
came over to me. I, I later learned what a champion he was of, of any uh, student working in this area or any newbie. Um, and that was essentially the conference that I passed over from student to part of the community, I suppose. Is that a good and accurate description, Jay? Yes, I am a sucker for students and uh, <laughs> as well as my dog here. So, Aww, uh, so Jay, Jay were, you on, were you on one of those gondolas? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Not, not, uh, uh, not, not with Mari, but uh, yes, I, uh, in Venice, I was on a gondola with a bunch of folks, and um, okay, uh, went through the, uh, you know, I've got about a forty-pound camel made out of crystal sitting over here, twenty-four uh, karat gold leaf inside of it. You know, I, I, I got taken to uh, Murano Island, and you know, the salespeople there got me hooked up with a nice piece, so. Um, I, I've done my uh, Venice tour, but you know her. Her father and I uh, have known each other for quite a while as well. Uh, our encounter was in Europe at the Biofeedback Federation of Europe's meetings, which are always really quite an interesting mixing bowl of, of various folks, and um, it, it's always fun uh, uh, to, to end up encountering all the uh, young folks coming in, and. You know, being an old folk going out, it's it's a uh, it's nice to foster uh, the the students because they are our future. Obviously, now it's a little late for Mari. She's no longer a student, so uh, you know. <laughs> I was going to say that that was probably the the crossover age where we were both solidly somewhere in younger middle age, but as time goes by. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Mari, how'd you get started in neurofeedback? Well, Jay already kind of hinted at that. I, I, it was always here. My, my father, Dr. Swingle Sr., hence sometimes why I, instead of going by Dr. Swingle Jr., I go by Dr. Mari. Yeah, he's always kind of uh, been in this. And I have very early memories of his, yeah. literally his wall-to-wall computers. I would play in his labs and do all kinds of funky soldering. And just, it was always kind of around. Um, didn't really have any particular interest in it until much uh, well, later in life as a relative term. I was in my 20s. Yeah, it, it literally was a Christmas dinner conversation. Um, and I was going up in the, the rank and file of a, a local college, and I had my dream job, my dream title, and I was really frustrated because it was all about politics of learning as opposed to learning. And I was explaining how, you know, I was studying at that point vocabulary learning and retention and second language acquisition. Um, and he was sharing with me some of the things, the technologies that he had used for re remedial learning. And I was like, hey, well, would this work for accelerated learning? And we looked at each other and said, let's find out. I still remember the data. There was a 73.5 increase in vocabulary retention over a 42 minute was supposed to be 45, but it turned out to be 42, 42 minute study session and data like that. It's just, it was absolutely incredible. And from that moment I was hooked. Yeah. So I went back to school because uh, I had an MA in education at the time. So I went back to school, got a MA in um, psych and then a doctorate in psych. And uh, boy, I'm, I'm as in as anybody now. <laughs> she cut her teeth on electrodes and uh, you can see her hair. That's what happens when you get gel in your hair. Ever since you're a young person, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, I do remember my, my, my poor old boyfriends, you know, little do they know, oh, come on in, we'll put some electrodes on your head, see what you're made of. <laughs> so, so your dad's actually pretty famous in the field, right? I'd, I'd say he's known. I'd say he's known. Yeah. yeah there's like a five channel um, assessment that's used and he, he develops a database, right? Or you tell me, I, I'm just. Uh, yeah. Um, and that we're extremely proud of. Um, it's, you know, I, I talk a lot about normative versus clinical. So essentially you're, you're comparing individuals' brains to individuals who are diagnosed or fully symptomatic. Um, we find it's extremely powerful. It's on the shoulders of, of all of, I, I would say, our four forefathers and mothers, uh, just in terms of a lot of the single site work that was being done. And he essentially took the, the, the five most prominent sites where a lot of the literature was coming out. And, and clinically, that really had meaning in terms of you could move some of the uh, waves or signatures from those sites people really moved quickly. I, I guess in the early years, a, a lot of folks that were seeking neurotherapy services, um, I, I'd like to say that they, I don't want to say desperate because that's horrible, but they were kind of the last resort clients or really anti-pharma clients. And, and they were tired of, of, of sitting in the, in the symptoms that they were sitting in. So that this ability to really, really target and, and also a lot of my work now is on what I call constellations. So you don't just look at one site, you look at the, how the, um, the sites uh, work together. Um, and, and we find, I'm going to do a little bit of chest pounding, um, that the amount of sessions that, that people need to fund, and let's talk about you know, uh, how people pay, are significantly uh, less because everything we do is so targeted. And, and it's our absolute joy that I always say the happiest day with any client is the last day I see them. With your book, I Minds, How Cell Phones and, and the title, can you, can you just answer that? Right. Oh, right? yeah, absolutely. Well, I uh, stands for I guess I'm really pushing the term I technology. OK, and I can stand for used to stand for Internet, uh, but now more importantly, it stands for interactive. Um, and I'd say most of the major issues that that I see in terms of significant deregulation of persons is due to the interactive component, because that's essentially what makes it uh, addictive. It's all about the pacing of the interaction. The title is you know, mentions a bunch of devices that are almost extensions of our appendages these days, right? Like yeah. my phone's not far and I'm on, I'm on a computer yeah. and man, it's prevalent and it's here and it sure doesn't seem like it's um, going to be regulated. Like, Oh, I don't know, cigarettes, you know, and maybe uh, people don't smoke as much as they used to. Right. But I mean, these things are here to stay. So we always try to stay conscious of that when we're talking to people about the effects of these devices. How do you talk to folks about, getting the regulation back other than through, you know, neurofeedback and training and so forth. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying that, I mean, there's nothing new here. Um, you know, good old human culture, got something good and then just overuses it until it destroys us, you know? So we, we can talk about food. We can talk about sex. We can talk about the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, 101 examples, even the car, it was a godsend in the beginning. Right. And, and now it's the primary cause of massive pollution on the planet, whether the exhaust itself or what we extract out of the earth to make them. Anyways, I can go on and on. We've done the same thing with our technology. <clears throat> I'd also uh, really want to say black and white, I am not anti-tech, anything but. I'm for responsible use of tech. 
and I am for research that is not done by vested interest because our major issue now is a lot of the research is done by vested interest. The, the really uh, good news is I have quote unquote discovered the signature of excess or deregulation. If anybody wants to look for it, I'm absolutely clear about it. It is a massive spindling that is picked up uh, at location 01, the exhibit. Okay, from eyes open to eyes closed condition. Okay, used to be I'm, I'm I'm standing on the shoulders of my father's work here in terms of what he used to term the artist signature. Okay, goes further than that. So if you get an increase from eyes open to eyes closed of around 150, wow, it's a sign of artistry. And I'm not just talking singing and dancing and playing guitar, okay? I'm talking about the, I'd say the classical sense of, of artistry. So uh, spatial, true spatial planning, not, not the gaming stuff that they pretend they're doing. Um, so architecture, higher levels of mathematics, those type of things, okay? Now, when it goes further than that, that is my overt signature for brain deregulation. And when I first started working in this field, it was always, always associated with excessive gaming and young male children. Okay. Now it's really, really broadened. And an interesting thing, and again, I'm really open for conversation, is I would say this is associated with around 95% uh, of the individuals that have this type of spindling. There is excessive interactive screen use in their lives, but there's this funny little a, a portion of people where they have it and it's not. <clears throat> so I don't know whether it's a all cats have four legs, but not all four-legged animals or cats, you know, meaning it's a sign of deregulation that I'm really noticing in my field, or, you know, could it be an exposure and a process thing? I don't have the answers. I'm happy to say I don't have all the answers. Other people, please come on board. Um, let's find the answers together. I'm, I'm obviously intrigued and curious. I, I still don't have that answer. And I've been, I've, I had, you know, it's 10 years. I don't have that answer. But what I do know is I see this all the time in individuals. You know, it's kind of like my crystal ball. People are like, how did you know? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's like huge pupils in marijuana. You, you know, you can see it. Um, so I, I directly approach people and say, hey, you know, I, I know. Right. So do you want help with this or not? Um, and then again, depending on what it is, I mean, if it's um, excessive uh gaming to a point where a person is dysfunctional also has anxiety depression etc um, pornography addiction is another one there are a couple of classifications where it's just like no this is destroying your life and the lives of people around you um, and then there are these funny little areas where uh, it's people's work you know they're just on screens 24 7 so um, I, I guess a good analogy of how you work with it is the way you work with an eating disorder you can't tell people not to eat um, but you really, really have to teach them how to regulate the, the behavior. So for some people, it's like, no, you can't have, if your metabolism is such that you can't absorb, you know, high caloric value. No, you, you just have to cut out all these foods and eat healthy. Other people, it's like, yeah, you know, cut out a lot of these unhealthy foods, but please have chocolate cake twice a week. You know, so it, it, it depends. So that's the behavioral component. Um, and then the brain, the brain, the brain, back to the good old five point. Um, we go after any signatures associated with uh, poor stress tolerance, 
Um, there, there's a constellation that I almost always see really, really horrendously low theta beta at the back of the brain. There's always, not always, I have to be careful of always and never, but there tends to be some other alpha deregulation. So typically in the frontal lobes, but that there's something else off with alpha. Sometimes there are signatures associated with ADHD, so focus and attention, sometimes not, because people are really hyper aroused. Very typically, we'll find a high beta-beta ratio associated with perseveration and addiction. So we go after all of those things in complement. And I can tell you, black and white, the therapy will not work unless it's treated in tandem. Okay, so you have to uh, deal with the usage, the overt brain training, and the behavioral component. So if a, a parent comes in here, plops down their kid and says, fix my kid. Okay. Or they won't stop gaming. You tell them, make them stop. We're going to fail. There's a high, high parenting component uh, for the young ones. Um, and then for the uh, older individuals, young adults to very mature people, uh, you have to be committed to it. So it's like a diet. So yeah. And then that, that alpha really interestingly, I don't work with that spindling alpha. Part of it is because I'm really not sure why it's there. Um, but it's just, you just watch it go down all by itself, all by itself. It's fascinating. And when I do present, you know, you'll see it, individuals who refuse to stop whatever they're doing, whether it's social media, gaming, porn, what have you. Okay. You'll see it go from 250, 350. I've seen it as high as 650, you'll just see it go. And then when people stop, you'll see it exactly just do the opposite, just go right down. And I guess the last commentary here is really depends. It's not so much the behavior, both what you're doing now, but also how long you've been doing it. So if I have a go with young males here, if I have a, a 10 year old male child, who's been, you know, gaming for uh, a year, you know, a, a lot of this is just parenting, parenting, parenting. Okay. If I have um, uh, a 19 year old uh, male or female who they finished high school, they're not sure what they're doing and they've just gone down the rabbit hole of social media or gaming, same type of thing. You get that young adult on board, you get the parents on board, you do some neuro, we're good. If I have a 18 year old all the way through up to a 40 something year old. So let's just take, take the 18 year old. If I have an 18 year old who's been gaming emphatically since the age of nine, the whole social network is, is about gaming. So they're socially isolated except for their gaming buddies. Um, that is a much, much longer um, treatment course. It's much more painful. And I mean, emotionally painful. Um, we have extreme withdrawal systems. Um, the, the brain is essentially trained to only function in extremely high arousal. So it's a go, 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 crash, go, 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 uh, crash pattern. Um, social skills are horrendously thwarted. I mean, I can go on and on and on in terms of the global uh, deregulation uh, of the brain itself and of the development of, of the person. So I'm horrendously concerned uh, about age of introduction, the amount of immersion. So age of introduction and immersion are key with success rates. I had the uh, wonderful opportunity to present along with Dirk DeRitter, um, the neurosurgeon, MD-PhD. Um, and uh, he's got some very nice data 
showing that there's some foundational failure modes in the brain that are the same kind of failure but in a different network that link tinnitus in the auditory cortex, pain in the somatosensory system, motor movement disorders, and reward deficiency problems, which link depression and anxiety, uh, addiction, uh, obsession, uh, all of those together. Uh, he's got wonderful uh, uh, data on eating disorders and yeah, other uh, reward deficiency syndrome uh, 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 people. They identify it uh, just based on the EEG uh, mm-hmm. with over 80% accuracy for the reward deficiency. Pain and Parkinson, the more, the more easily diagnosed, um, you know, obvious uh, uh, diagnostic groups, they're a little over 90% accurate, but the uh, depression, anxiety, th- those are less well-defined, actually. Um, the DSM might have them pinned down, but uh, the, <laughs> you know, the, it's, it's not such a, a hard definition. So the percent accuracy in, in that is the least, and again, over 80% accurate still. It, it, it's interesting to see neuroscience starting to drill down uh, in, into the foundational failure modes uh, that are across, uh, you know, the same kind of a failure within a different network uh, that, that end up linking so many different disorders uh, in, in the brain. It's nice to see us getting away from the DSM diagnosis and uh, drilling down into biological, you know, biomarkers. And uh, that there's there's a similarity to lots of different dysfunctions, uh, and a, you know you you know you're starting to get down to the truth of some sort when you see these uh, the you know multiple things answered all by the same uh, uh, same answer. Yeah, th- thanks, Jay. I mean, yes, yes, yes. I, I I can see now. Derek and I are going to have some good conversations. Um, it, it's funny. Um, one of my my last conversations with Dr. Stu Donaldson, bless his soul. Yeah. We were actually delving into some of these patterns and he was sharing, wow, I've seen something kind of similar on my very severely concussed people. Um, But we were just about to uh, delve in and actually uh, we're thinking to do a presentation or a paper on what is massive alpha deregulation. I mean, I don't have to tell this crew that alpha tells us everything. There's something there. And uh, I have to watch my tongue against the DSM, but oh yes, no you don't. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, no you don't. Not on this, okay, not, not here. Process. Okay. Not on this. <laughs> <show>. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just one of the major things that I'm always dealing with is, you know, my child has depression, and the way they they feel better when they game, or they, I'm like, well. Okay. And, th- and this goes way back to my early, early uh, work in, in terms of looking specific. I call it the big three. It's um, anxiety, depression, and I-, I call it the OCD spectrum. I know officially it's not a spectrum, but to me, it kind of works that way. But depression, uh, it's caused, if not, you know, uh, maintained. <laughs> um, you know, it's a real chicken and egg thing. You know, you have depression, so you start to go down the rabbit hole, or you go down the rabbit hole, and it causes your depression. Uh, the, the, the marriage with anxiety. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I'm not going to, um, yeah, talk down to, to this, this audience, but I mean, 
um, it, it, to me, the, the association is just, I mean, it's beyond a marriage. It's an absolute fusion uh, in terms of the, the hyper arousal that we, that we see with, with all anxiety. And then of course, ADHD, you're, tr- you're training the inhibition response not to work. So essentially you're being rewarded for everything um, school and a job thereafter doesn't want you to have. So yeah. your use of the concept of an OCD spectrum is in fact, really quite, I think, insightful. Mm-hmm. Uh, De Ritter's uh, location for the reward deficiency syndrome that links depression and anxiety and obsessive compulsive disorder and eating disorders and addiction, um, all of that ends up being at the anterior cingulate. So yeah. there, it, it is a, a broad spectrum of mm-hmm. failure of a location in the brain. Yeah. But it, it, you know, the, the nuance difference of one presentation versus the next, maybe the way it networks, but the, mm-hmm. the, uh, what's called a rich club hub, the, the primary focus of all of that ends up being the anterior cingulate. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, uh, um, and how many OCDs are in the DSM? The stupid book of the DSM. There's only one. Uh, and which one is that, Jay? Which one well, is that? Yeah, you have obsessive compulsive, but you can have OCD with oh, alpha pattern. You actually answered you that? You can have it with, with beta pattern. You can have it with theta pattern. And they predict different medications. Yeah. You know, the, the behavior of OCD doesn't predict anything about how to treat. You, you got it classified, so you get billed for it. But it doesn't tell you how to treat. If you have an alpha pattern at the anterior cingulate, the percent effectiveness of an SSRI or SNRI, you're lucky if you beat 40%, 50% in the research. But for OCD, alpha pattern, 85% success. 85%. It's a a biomarker for that medication. If you have a theta pattern, it's a waste of time and money, but you don't have a bad reaction to the meds. So you're probably still stuck on it, you know? But if you have a beta pattern, when you take that medication the first time, you have a panic attack or a meltdown of some sort, um, it's it's a very negative outcome. The theta pattern has less than a 15% response to an SSRI instead of an 85% chance. So, and you get a 30 plus percent chance for a a placebo. So a 15% responder is basically a non-responding group. Um, uh, uh, So if we can look at the EEG, and predict medication effectiveness, you know that there's a biological system there. It's a reliable uh, uh, kind of a, a, a approach, a biomarker approach, as opposed to your OCD behavior. Uh, again, the OCD behavior is probably part of a spectrum disorder, as you've insightfully pointed at it. Uh, we have different audience members. I mean, we certainly have clinicians listening to us and text. Um, but we also have people who are considering maybe trying um, neurofeedback or trying to, you know, understand kind of what this is all about before they start to invest. So because you're t- talking about alpha waves and theta waves and different, you know, we're talking about different parts of the brain and different networks and how things connect together. I think, you know, just to simplify that the frontal lobe is our executive center that helps us execute and control our impulses. And that's being very simplistic, but um, can you guys talk about, at the very basic level, kind of neurofeedback 101, like what's an alpha wave, what's a theta wave as you're talking about these syndromes and uh, maybe help educate some of the folks who are just, you know, trying to learn this? 
<laughs> so, to our modulator, um, I don't have the slide now, but I would like to send it to you. Uh, and maybe you can insert it in terms of all the things Alpha does. Okay, so in, in terms of my work and recognizing the, the signature for, you know, excessive, uh, inappropriate or addictive uh, interactive screen use, um, I actually really want to stay to absolute basics. Um, so with, with everybody's permission, I'll just send in that, that slide to essentially tell anybody new you really, really, really got to know your stuff if you're if, if you're going to go into any detail. But for an absolute newbie, you're just looking for this huge, 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 huge signature um, in the occiput uh, when a person closes their eyes. Now, very interestingly, okay, in terms of what type of systems or programs you use, okay, because it the amplitude is so high. Any and all automatic artifacting programs will eliminate it as um, some form of artifact or noise. It's not. Okay. And I, I tell a long, long story about that in terms of how it was almost missed. If I had, you know, not been sitting there going through every little frame, you know, initially in the early 2000s, we, we would have missed it. I'm also I'm talking about the, the new clinicians who are entering the field of neurofeedback as professionals, but I'm also talking about patients who are interested in, uh, you know, in pursuing this as a, a training. So alpha is essentially a resting state for a location in the cortex. It's easy to identify the visual cortex when you close your eyes goes at rest. It's resting but ready. It's not asleep. It's not totally gone. It's resting but ready. Now that same resting but ready can be seen elsewhere, but it's most easily identified at the back of the head. It matures from a slower frequency when you're very young to an, kind of an ideal Goldilocks frequency for it, not too fast, not too slow, somewhere around nine to 10 hertz. Can be faster up to 12, 13 and still be in the relatively healthy range. Uh, but the faster it is, the higher your arousal level is. The slower it is, the lower your arousal level is. Uh, so if it's too slow, you're not going to be fully functional. It's also proportional to the number of snapshots per second that your perception takes. So it's, your, it's, it's related to your resolution perceptually. And for people that have their alpha too slow, uh, they're going to have poor semantic and declarative memory performance. So speeding it up slightly ends up helping with seniors, for instance, as a brain brightener effect uh, by slightly speeding up the alpha. Um, uh, and speeding up the alpha was proven to in, improve the semantic and declarative memory as a causal relationship uh, at the Consciousness and Sleep Lab in Salzburg. Um, that they did some very nice work by uh, individual alpha frequency plus one to speed it up one cycle a second. Just that, you know, what used to be a cigarette commercial, one silly millimeter longer, well, one silly second uh, cycle per second faster. And again, huge improvements in neurocognitive function. Um, hey, can I just piggyback there? Some really please. emergent research that we're doing is also in terms of immune function and very serious illness. Um, that yep. if you just spark up alpha a little bit, it can make a, uh, a, a difference. Uh, I can't officially say what severe illness uh, because it's still emergent uh, experimental, but 
um, yeah, really, really powerful. Well, we also see it in, in uh, COVID brain fog. Um, the slow edge of alpha tracks ischemia. Uh, ischemia is the inability to, to provide enough oxygen and glucose for full function. It's not the loss of flow, which is like a stroke, uh, but it's, it's impaired uh, full function. So when you can't uh, remember names and facts and figures after COVID, you've got brain fog in a spot that's normally used for retrieval of that information. If you have perceptual problems, uh, you know, perceptual area, again, has the same kind of thing. It's the same look that migraine ischemia or post-traumatic ischemia has. It's just a different etiology for ischemia. Uh, but but COVID brain fog ends up being seen as an ischemic change. Immune system can cause inflammation, which can cause ischemia. So there's a, a rational reason for it to have been, uh, been incurred uh, from the COVID. But uh, uh, um, neurofeedback, I, I've got pre-post studies on individuals, multiple people, uh, showing that neurofeedback can actually fix that uh, ischemic change. Nothing new. I mean, we've been working with uh, migraine and head trauma-based uh, ischemia for a long time. Uh, COVID is just a different etiology. Uh, we, we still have quite good effectiveness uh, working with them. For, for the moms and dads out there, uh, we, we had Dr. Patrick Porter on a couple shows ago, and we thought we coined the term gamer's brain. We didn't. It's been around no, a long time. No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So scratch that. But what we did talk about was, and I was fascinated with, we've been preaching about, hey, get a, a, a brain map, a QEEG, if, you're, if your kids play football, so you get a baseline to compare it to. But what we talked about on that show is the actual electronic games do more damage to your brain than the actual, actual physical sport. What's your take on that, Dr. Murray? Well, it's a, it can Okay, and this is where I, I kind of talk about epigenetics, and this is where, you know, I, earlier I talked about, you know, be really careful about research by vested interest, okay? There are individuals out there that can game five to eight hours a day uh, and be okay. They're extremely rare, okay? The analogies I always use when talking with parents or lay people in general are those of alcohol, because everybody understands them. So I'm going to just go into my spiel and my story. So everybody knows that one person who can down half a bottle of scotch, they do not slur their speech. They don't wobble all over the place. I do not recommend that they sign any legal contracts or drive a car, but to everybody else, they seem okay. In contrast, everybody knows that one person that has that half glass of 7% vino verde and they're absolutely loopy. It's the exact same substance on the brain. It's, it's, it's how we metabolize it. If I want to get into real genetics, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to rattle it off. I mean, I can talk and be completely un-PC because I belong to one of the groups as a natural redhead. Okay. But so the un-PC version is a Chinese man and an Irish woman walk into a bar who gets drunk. Okay. So there actually are specific alleys and codes that we can look. So 65% of female redheads carry a certain gene that makes the, uh, uh, the body metabolize alcohol slower. Okay. Or is it 
faster. I forget. Sorry. Um, but essentially, you, you don't feel it as much versus um, uh, one third of individuals of Asian descent. Alcohol is just an absolute poison. There's none of the positives of euphoria, giddiness, etc. Okay, so that and, and I'm sorry, I can't rattle off these genes. I'm not as quick as Jay on that. But you know, they're I, they're, I actually wrote a mini paper on it. I called it the redhead receptor. Okay, so that's that component. A third example is, uh, let's just say everybody gets a little bit loopy. It's a nice, happy party. Okay, and you have your real happy person dancing on tables. You have your weepy person in the corner just crying away about their mother or their boyfriend. And then you have that angry, dangerous uh, uh, drunk who, who wants to get into a fight. Again, it's the same substance. Okay. So I use those examples and it's the exact same thing uh, with our eye technology. Okay. So you need to know your epigenetics. You need to be very aware and not in denial in terms of what it's doing to you. Okay. If you're on screens up to 11 PM and oh, geez, I can't sleep. Well, you know, it's associated with insomnia for you. Okay. You can put all kinds of screens and films on this, that, and the other. For some people, none of that works. Uh, other people can look at their phone and, and off they go. Um, but they're not the majority. So what I say to all parents is your parental gut, you know, if your child acts differently when you ask them to disengage from a game, okay, or from a screen that's not scholastic, Okay. Um, and they tantrum more than they would if you ask them to stop any other activity, whether it's swinging on a swing, if they're a reader, it's reading or playing with their, their little toys. That is a sign of emotional deregulation. Period. Okay. So watch, watch the tantrums. Okay. That, that's how you know that the brain is over engaging and going into a, a different arousal point. Um, Again, I can I can chew your ears off. I mean, the book. Can I do promo in terms? Yeah, of- let's go. Yeah. Okay. That that's how thick the book is. Okay, so you know it it it's all in there in terms of a lot of the um, specifics and what yeah, each yeah. age range, what um, what parents need to be careful of, um, and each age range. It's it's very very uh, difficult, and I I kind of go into if you're worried about X, don't use it from this age to this age. If you're worried about why don't use it for this age if you're worried about a and all the way through um and if you uh need again any um external proof of this all of the big 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 tech gurus it was never never hidden but it was not overtly publicized either um all of them uh had their children uh extremely monitored in terms of the use of the products that they were developing and selling to other parents and grandparents and teachers etc okay or they were sent to schools uh, wherein screens were not introduced until age 12. Okay. Um, and that's just a fact. That's just an absolute fact. Um, so in my extreme conservative, uh, I, I don't think we should have these um, in, in the schools because um, in, in order to use a lot of tech very, very properly, um, how's that for a double in 
comparative exaggeration very, very properly. No, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot more work. Okay, so the way we're using it, we're using it to, um, as a parental reprieve or to make teaching easier. Um, and everything that I've seen in terms of curriculum development is actually a lot harder to uh, teach children how to um, use their technology well, how to do research properly, um, what type of things are taught very well by, uh, via screen versus what things aren't. Math, for example, Khan Academy is a really good, extremely positive, positive uh, example. Um, any differentiation games, uh, again, I think are very negative. And if you permit me to digress, uh, another example I always use is a, I call it the game of squares. And Sesame Street made this really popular. It's you, you have three things and then uh, they're all the same and you have to figure out the fourth. What is the match to the, um, the set? So the example I like to use is three yellow squares and the child has to choose between a banana and a pink square. Okay, and it's math class. Okay, so the child picks uh, the banana and it goes wrong. Okay, so first of all, the child's brain is in a reward. They, they probably don't care about the answer. It's just the right, wrong, do I get the point? So that, that's one negative. But the other is, generally speaking, nobody asks or tries to find out why the child picked the banana. Okay. Well, it doesn't take a huge genius to figure out that they were going by color, okay, versus because it was math class, they were supposed to go by shape, okay. And then, again, if you start to interact and talk with a child a little bit more, it's like, well, hey, why did you pick the banana? And it might not even be color. It might be a level so far above what the programmer was thinking, and it could be, well, the pink mint didn't taste the same as the as the banana candies, right? Um, so there, there are all kinds of things. So one of the things I say to parents and teachers, if you do choose to use any and all of a computer-based educational program, you need to do them with your child because otherwise everything that child is learning, unlearning, um, or being told they're incorrect on is completely based on what that programmer was thinking at the moment. Okay. And if you had some math gal who was only thinking shapes, wasn't thinking about bananas, wasn't thinking about taste, wasn't the right. You're, you're dampening and killing uh, the, the creativity, the analytical uh, mini brain. So if you're in the basement, they're playing games all night mm-hmm. and they're, insert drug of choice, mm-hmm. smoking weed. That's not a recipe for success. That's what you're saying. <laughs> oh, you're a genius. <laughs> banana. <laughs> Mint. With or so, without bananas, yeah. <laughs> you, you pointed out that the parents need to look for an unusually bad reaction when you try to steer them towards something other than the game or whatever they're focused on. Well, not now, even bad, Jay, just, just something that's a little bit more because that's your first sign of the deregulation. If they're cingulate, the, the frontal portion of the brain uh, locks onto something, the cingulate's part of the limbic system. And the limbic system is not an adult consciousness. It's a primal drive. When they're focused on something with their primal drive and you try to guide them to something else, little Johnny doesn't understand it as little Johnny, please, you know, go over and 
play over here instead of over here. Their limbic system looks at somebody trying to push them away from what they're focused on as a threat to their existence. So it's an existential threat. <laughs> if the limbic system thinks, oh, you're trying to kill me yeah. uh, when you're trying to simply get Johnny to go over and play with something else, you can understand from their perspective why they're having an excessively aggressive reaction. It's yeah. a limbic reaction. It's not some normal cortical, you know, thought, uh, no adult interaction, not even a, a child level interaction. This is a primal uh, interaction. Reaction is again, the anterior cingulate. As a, an, an OCD spectrum, uh, the anterior cingulate is the thing that drives that. That's where Deritter found the biomarkers for uh, reward deficiency syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, thanks for that, Jay. And, and why don't we just throw in the vestibular system here as well? It's the exact opposite. That's where, you know, a child is in front of whatever they're doing on, on a screen and the parent will yell no response whatsoever. Some parents even come and they try and do this in front of the child and the child doesn't even um, realize. And I'm, I, my term for this is vestibular lockdown. You know, that they're they're trying to focus just at the threshold, threshold, threshold of uh, of attention, um, because that's the way a lot of the, the games and the systems and the algorithms um, are, are, are designed um, that that all emotions lock down. OK, and then when you break that, the child literally and figuratively needs to reboot. And that's why they're bouncing all off the walls, because they need to reboot emotionally. Laura and I trained under Len Koziel, and so we share a lot of the same ideas. And we were schooled on the cerebellar cognitive affective syndrome. Um, you know, Schmaman brought that out. And so there's another system that might be involved here, too, as we're talking about the regulation of responses, which, of course, includes cognitions, emotions, and behaviors. And that could be involved if uh, we can allow parents to maybe consider, hey, there's something going on here besides locking horns with my kid about getting him off his device, which, hey, that's human. You know what I mean? Like as soon as I get off this call, I'm back to being Skip the guy, you know, and working in my life with the people I know, you know, but if, if we can allow folks to maybe just consider that there's systems going on here and that it does have to do with brain function as well as epigenetics, gut health and all kinds of good things. And it's not just my kid saying, hey, uh, you know, screw you, I'm going to stay on my thing all night. We do have individuals that have not only kept up their skills, but are, are masters at it. Um, but what I can speak to at a very, very basic level, and if there's somebody more knowledgeable than I, then come in. But of course, it's about calming. Um, and, and there are procedures that are used to just, you know, quiet an individual. So in terms of still point, craniosacral, other things that we do, we introduce, I I guess, um, electrical acupuncture. So pericardium six also can, can calm there. There are a lot of adjunctive things with the straight, um, you know, uh, neurofeedback uh, or neurotherapy, you know, passive versus active, but I'm very pro um, neurofeedback so that the individual is involved in the interface of the looping with the brain. Um, and then I would say almost 
anything except marijuana <laughs> but to, to, to assist with um, the system learning to calm. Uh, because yes, individuals that have gone down that rabbit hole, uh, the extreme hyper arousal that they're dealing with, I mean, it's, it's horrendous. And, and, to, and to loop back again, the longer that an individual has been exposed to this and how much of the de- developmental process has matured in this, um, you know, a lot of people really, really need uh, help having having their systems reengage or, or start to redevelop the way they were supposed to. Are you talking about, Mari, um, like a rehab, like a physical uh, uh, center that, that people should be removed from from these things? Uh, well, again, this depends on the severity. Um, and, and I would say just like any other major addiction, you know, uh, environment is key. Um, and uh, self-advocacy uh, and self-efficacy are also key. So uh, some people that have, have really fallen off the cliff, so to speak, um, something similar to rehab uh, might be very appropriate. Okay. Or family uh, therapy. I mean, that's kind of what you're alluding to, especially with the younger folks that, um, yeah, there's a dynamic there that the, the parents aren't pulling the plug and they're not providing attention um, in, a, in, a, in a, you know, a healthier manner. Just to reiterate, the parents need to be on board. And I'm going to go back to my alcohol. You know, if you have a child who's an alcoholic, you know, who's buying the vodka, you know, Um, and why are you leaving a bottle of vodka on the dining room table saying, don't drink this, we're going out for the night. You know, it it just, let's just get back to our logic. Um, the, The problem is the, you know, Almost every single industry on the planet uh, uses tech um, and, and, and we need our tech. And again, this is where I get back to treating this exactly the way we would many eating disorders. Um, and uh, yeah, just engaging with a professional who can, who can help uh, to see whether complete hiatuses and a slow rebuild are, are, are what is helpful versus do you just chop out the segment of behavior that we know uh, is unhealthy. There, there are many ways to go about this. So the, 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 the most intelligent answer here is it depends. Um, and uh, I, I'm going to put a real, uh, I don't like the word bias because bias is an uninformed opinion. I consider myself informed. But just like you know, many other professionals, a lot of individuals feel they know a lot more than they do. This is much more complex uh, than we're um, acknowledging. And the other major issue I feel is a lot of individuals who are uh, ex-addicts or ex-gamers are, are, are leading the push. Um, and I'm a true believer um, uh, that their perceptive is skewed. Okay. Um, do you think so, parents would, do you think parents would understand a little bit better? Maybe we call it dopamine addicts. I, I don't, it's too popularized. Like what is dopamine? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I think the swing and a miss. Yeah. He's my brother. I can say that stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, I just, I'm, I'm really hoping. Well, you know, pe- people want headlines, you know, they don't want to do research. They just want the blurb. And then I'm going to put a couple minutes to it. Hey, parents, if, you, if your kids aren't paying attention to you, they could be a dopamine addict. Well, what's dopamine? Oh, a text message, you know, the drug of choice. You know, they want that positive reinforcement. I, I'm trying to figure out how to explain it to parents. Swing yeah. and a miss. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think the eating disorder is the best one. Absolutely the best one. Because, I mean, a lot of the headlines is this is like your brain on crack. And it's like, yeah, okay. And thanks for the headlines. 
Um, but then That's if this right is yeah. crack, why are we using it for this and for that and all the positive things? So yeah, we're, we're not there yet, but for now I'm picking uh, alcohol. People get it. Okay. Tastes really good with dinner, can lighten up conversation, uh, but don't use it while driving. Don't drink it all day, et cetera, et cetera. Or be on social media. <laughs> <laughs> or Amazon. Dr. Mari, what, what's the best way for more people to learn more about you? Uh, I have drmariswingle.com. Is that the best way? Yeah. And true to my, my website is so, so, so outdated. It isn't funny. I'm too busy doing research and treating people, but one of these days I'll get to it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just going to shamelessly um, promote my book. It's, it's all in there. Uh, so please pick that up. The other thing is um, I'm, I'm really, really uh, proactive in terms of just really trying to share as much as I can to inform and educate. And pre COVID I was hopping all around the place. So, I mean, if anybody who can put together a decent group of people, I'm, I'm ready to come out and talk um, because it's sometimes, especially for, for, for parents and educators and, and other um, practicing professionals, just this, there's so many things you can write about, but if somebody can just have the opportunity to ask a direct question, um, we can get right to the meat of things. So I'll just put that out. Go to my website, reach out. If you want me to talk, contact me. Dr. Murray, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been my absolute pleasure. Also a pleasure to be with other such magnificent noodle minds. <laughs> <laughs> we got a lot of noodles here. Yeah. We thank you for listening to Neuro Noodles, Neurofeedback, and Neuropsychology Podcasts. Again, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters, Outrageous Baking and <laughs> Interested Brain Hacker. Skip, we are all about gut health. Visit OutrageousBaking.com. Gluten-free, everyone loves. The links will be in the podcast notes below. Idea for a topic, please email me, Pete, at NeuroNoodle.com, or leave us a voicemail with the link in the podcast notes. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Smash that like button on Facebook, Instagram, and follow us on Twitter. And hey, if you really, really like us, buy us a coffee on Patreon slash NeuroNoodle. Right, Jay? You got it. You can't get more coverage than a Patreon supporter gets. Almost as much coverage as a 19-channel scan. Cue the music. <laughs> I'm opening the packages from the Outrageous Baking Gluten-Free Sample Pack. And I'm very excited. Very excited. I cut glutens out just before I met husbands. So probably about 17, 18 years ago. Ooh. Sample pack. Oh, here we go. Cinnamon coffee cake. I'm going with cinnamon coffee cake. First one out of the out of the chute. Go away, hound. Dog is very interested. Cinnamon coffee cake. Here we come. Delicious. 
Is that for real? Oh, me? Oh. Mm. Where are they? I think they were in... Colorado. Bowling just north of Denver. We could have stopped by. We could have stopped by. We will. So, what would you rate the... 10 of 10. It is outrageous. Outrageously delicious. See, so you vouch. That's good stuff. I said my wow. wife likes it. Wow, we wow, can... wow. We're going to keep going. This is good. All right, so that's cinnamon. We'll try it. As we open up each different flavor, wow. we will record. Oh, any it's any, too deep. Any last words? Thank you.